today's scripture reading is from Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 46, and it's on page 3 of your bulletin if you would like to follow along. Mark six thirty to 46. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, You give them something to eat. They said to him, That would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was five thousand. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. All right, let's pray together. God, we thank you for this time in your word, and we pray your blessing upon it. We need your Spirit's help to see what we need to see and hear what we need to hear and to grow in ways that you want us to grow, every person uniquely, differently, uh, but surely your desire is that we would respond. So give us help. Give us help, because we need it. We need you, in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in the middle of our um, series that we're calling Growing by Grace, and it's a time when we're just looking at different concrete tools, ingredients, uh, tools for growing spiritually in our life before God, growing in our relationship with God. So whether if you're just starting on your journey or if you have been walking with God for many years, just different ways that we can apply things like the reading of the Bible or prayer, engaging with God as a child, talking to him, or as we talked about last week, community and relationships, essentials for coming along in our faith, coming along in our understanding of the gospel of grace. And one thing you have to recognize as the list grows longer, and as we talk about each of these little tools, these means of grace, which the theologians might describe them as, as the list goes longer, the danger is that we start taking away an unspoken message, a wrong one, but one that we can get confused by, and that is this idea that we ought to be more busy 
with spiritual activity, that our lives ought to be more crowded, more hurried, more noisy, more stuff for me to do. And so it's important for us to consider the topic here of today's sermon, of today's passage, a fuller exposition of which you can find online. We did a study of the Gospel of Mark all of last year. Today we're just touching on a few points. But it's this idea that we want to focus on. To grow spiritually, we all need some rhythm of solitude and silence built into our lives. Solitude and silence, what does that mean? mean. Notice in this story here that the disciples' lives are very, very full. So full, in fact, that we're told in verse 31 that so many people were coming and going looking for help and looking for contact with Jesus and looking for their needs to be met. So full were the disciples' lives that they did not even have a chance to eat. And when they're done doing all that they're doing, they're still talking about what they have just done. Verse 31, we're told, verse 30, they're reporting to Jesus all they had done and taught. No chance to exhale. No real margin in life. Their lives are full and we're not much different, are we? Our lives are often so crowded and noisy. On the outside, in our circumstances, in the way that we live, crowded and noisy, crowded with people. Sometimes the way that we line up nonstop social engagements. The way in which we're surrounded by loads of people living in a city environment like this. And I don't mean to say that being surrounded by people is a, a bad thing. But certainly, if we're not aware of it, or if we just surround ourselves with crowds constantly, there is a chance that we start to simply tune people out habitually. Is that starting to happen to you? Our lives are crowded with commitments. The way in which we can feel constantly in a hurry, or in a rush from one thing to the next. Again, living with no margin. Sometimes multitasking ourselves to death. Our lives are crowded with diversions. Our ears always filled with music, not experiencing any kind of silence. I'm not saying that's a bad thing in and of itself, but the way in which we are so good these days, probably worse than any other time of filling in every single free moment with something, something, whether if it's texting or browsing. I recently read an article that was talking about how technology has kind of pushed out the art of daydreaming. Because when you're riding the metro or you're walking home, you're never just doing that. Or you don't have enough creative space just to let your imagination run wild. Or just to think. Or just to sit. When was the last time you just sat somewhere? I bet it's been a long time. Instead, it's Right? Again, these things are not bad in and of themselves, but they can be diversions from a settledness of heart and of life. Sometimes it's even just our own voices where we're always having to talk and engage in conversation. 
recently. Paul and I were watching an episode of the sitcom Up All Night, Christina Applegate. and the, one of the main characters, Chris, uh, it, the, one of the jokes was that every time there was a silent moment, he always had to crack a joke, or he gets awkward, so he has to say something. So his wife is sort of berating him about, why do you have to fill in the silence with your voice all the time? Some of us are like that, always talking, never listening. And it's not just our exterior circumstances, is it, friends? It's interior, too. The crowdedness and the noisiness within ourselves. The way in which we move around the day with this inexplicable sense of being pressed in on all sides. You feel claustrophobic even when you're all alone. The way in which we have obligations constantly running through our minds. Maybe your natural mental screensaver is... Do we even use screensavers anymore? Not as much is your unfinished to-do list constantly rehearsing to yourselves what you haven't done or haven't accomplished in the day. We are restless, are we not? Restless. Sometimes we can't even physically sit still because our hearts aren't still. Our noisy hearts constantly in the state of agitation, the voices within that keep us on our toes and keep us crowded, noisy, and busy. The voices that say you're just too ugly, or you're not measuring up, or you're not doing enough, or you've screwed up too badly, or you need to keep going, or you better not fail. These agitations within ourselves that run our lives, and sometimes... Because of all of this, we're simply coping, and that's why we surround ourselves with people and with diversions and with noise on the outside. Sometimes we're in community and in crowds because we're just so uneasy about being alone. Because maybe, just maybe, I might have to confront who I really am, or maybe, just maybe, I might have to listen to or hear what's actually in my heart. Maybe I'll have to start dealing Worst of all, of all this, we start to get used to operating in this way. We just do it mindlessly, routinely. It's part of life. Jesus comes in to his disciples and maybe to you and me today, and he interrupts the insanity. And this is what he says, verse 31. Come with me, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Verse 32, so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Literally, Jesus says, come, you yourselves, come by yourselves with me. His emphasis being on departing from the crowds and getting some alone time with him. Mark uses this word quiet place, which could be translated more literally a desolate place, a desert place, a wilderness place, an uninhabited place. In verse 32, it's the same word translated solitary place. This was Jesus' own normal pattern as well. We saw at the very end of the story in verse 46, after leaving them, 
He went up on a mountain to pray. We see this in his life again and again and again. The more crowded and noisy life got for Jesus, the more crowded and noisy his heart threatened to become, the more he would steal away. And if the Son of God himself needed this and insisted on this solitude and stillness, should we not also? Or maybe more invitingly, would he not also offer us the same? And he does. Jesus invites us out of crowdedness to solitude. And he invites us out of noisiness into stillness of heart. By solitude, I mean a voluntary and temporary withdrawing to a private place alone with God. It might only last a few minutes or it might last a couple days. It might involve physically separating yourselves from others like in a personal retreat. Or it might involve just seeking God in the midst of the chaos of life, daily life, messy life. But ultimately, solitude is a state of heart, friends. It's an inward posture before God, more than it's just a place where you go or who you're around. The goal is being present with God. The goal is to be still before God, attentive to God, listening to God, actually engaging with God rather than just passing through Him or texting with God, as it were, on the fly. That we might be functioning more out of genuine contact with God and faith, actively engaging with Him, again, even if it's for a short time, rather than simply reacting constantly to the circumstances of life. I love the picture that Psalm 131 gives to us with this idea of stillness and solitude with God. It says this, I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. I have stilled my soul. And this word stilled in Hebrew, it's actually the word for smoothing out rough edges. I have calmed and smoothed out the bumpy places in my heart like a weaned child is with its mother. So not a a fussy newborn that only sees mama as a vending machine at that age, normal, natural, not fussy and crying and demanding, but a child who has learned to see its mother as a person and who has learned to enjoy relationship and has grown to appreciate simply being present. Stillness of heart. And you say, where does that come from? Where do we get that? I want a little bit of that. And I do. And I think our tendency might be to see this and say, okay, so the idea is just to get away and just tell my heart, shh, just be quiet, shh, just quiet down. Is that the idea? And the answer, of course, is no. But it's the grace of God. It's a new vision of God. It's a new way of relating to God that gives this sort of gospel stillness that we all crave. 
The sort of vision of God that we see in this passage, a God of rest, a God who is a shepherd, and a God who's a provider. A God of rest. Jesus offers rest for our restlessness. Verse 31, we see that. Come away with me for a time of rest. There's nothing more restlessness producing than trying our whole lives to be our own saviors. To try to atone for our own guilt. To try to achieve our own righteousness before God. Our own acceptability before other people. Being our own comforter of our own wounds and our own fears. Jesus says, you can rest because I promise to do and be all those things for you. You can exhale, maybe for the first time, in relationship with me. A God who promises to be a shepherd. In verse 34, we're told that Jesus looked upon the crowds of people like, and he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. How much of our restlessness and our crowdedness of life and our noise is because of our feeling that we need to guide ourselves and direct ourselves through life? Or we feel like we need to be our own defender and protector. And here is Jesus saying, I'll do that for you. I'll do that for you. So you can stop. So you can be still. Out of trust in me. Out of awaiting patience upon me. God the provider, this Jesus who offers to be bread for our hunger. In verse 35 to the end, it's the story of Jesus taking five loaves of bread and multiplying it and feeding the multitudes. The way in which we see Jesus himself providing daily provision, concrete needs, but also feeding our deepest of hungers. Friends, how much of our craziness in life is because we're trying to feed the emptiness inside Maybe with a full calendar trying to feel like more of a full person. Maybe trying to feel more significant because we're able to turn down other requests for your time. Or maybe the noise and the distractions that we feed our lives with, our ears with, our mind with, because our souls are starving. And here is Jesus saying, I will feed you in a way that you've never been filled before. Bread for your soul. And freeing us, therefore, from self-provision. Feeling like I need to feed myself. I need to go find the bread. I need to go find the answers. Jesus says, here it is. I'll be your Savior. I'll be your forgiveness of sins. I'll be the source of perfect love and intimacy in your life. I'll be your source of significance and glory. So you don't need to try to suck that stuff out of other people and things and work and the activities that you're engaged with. Jesus offering to be all these things for us. And when we can start to wrap our souls around that, around Him, we can start to quiet ourselves and still ourselves from all the neurotic groping and grasping and running around, either outside or inside, that keeps us so darn tired. What does this look like practically? We're going to finish up with this. What does this look like practically? Four quick things. First, we've got to get away. Get away. In other words, designate a solitary place, then get in the boat and go there. 
Of course, that could mean getting away for a personal retreat, actually physically separating yourself and finding that time. But it could also be found in the course of regular life, maybe designating a place in the home, a certain chair or a certain room that you set aside for just moments of stillness and quietness. Maybe it's a favorite park bench. Maybe it's a coffee shop that really brings refreshment to you. Maybe it's right here coming to church a few minutes early just to be able to exhale a little bit. Maybe it's taking a walk around Rock Creek Park down the street, Ridden Hill, Malcolm X Park, or maybe it's just doing an extra loop around your block before you step in at home. Different ways in which, sure, it might take a little bit of planning and it might take a little bit of putting it in your schedule, But this is the sort of discipline of solitude that Jesus invites us to. It might be early in the morning. Psalm 4 suggests this when it says, When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be still. Or it might be late at night before going to bed. You know, this is not only for those of you that are trying to grow in your ongoing relationship with God through Jesus, but also those of you that are investigating the Christian faith. Do you actually carve out time where you're able to pay attention to your latest thoughts and ruminations? Where you're actually thinking through, what is it that I'm holding back? Or what is it that's sort of the major barriers in my heart, emotionally or maybe intellectually? Maybe daring to pray to God and saying, God, I don't really know what to say to you, but I want to seek you. Would you please show yourself to me? But carving out that space, friends, because it's the most important journey of your life, right? And to do that, maybe on a routine basis, get away, but also be creative. Make the most of what you might call little solitudes, a pocket of time, maybe 15 minutes, or maybe even just one minute, what some people have described as minute retreats on the metro or sitting at a red light at your desk or while you're nursing your kid. These little ways in which, again, though you might be surrounded with people, you can steal away in your heart and just employ some intentionality of looking upwards towards God, of being still before God, being intentional. And this is so important, friends, because it's important to not wrap yourself around with guilt and try to motivate yourself, especially if you are in a season of life that doesn't allow for extended getaways. Don't hear me saying that. If you are wrangling and wrestling, chasing a toddler around all day, or if you're just struggling to make ends meet and you're juggling multiple jobs, this is going to look different for you which is why the creative minute retreats and little solitudes are going to be a lifeline to you. But again, it takes intentionality and it takes creativity. And as you do this creatively, and speaking of seasons of life, thirdly, embrace interruptions. Embrace and even expect interruptions. Verse 33, Jesus says, look, come away. I mean, we can idealize this stuff. Jesus says, let's go to a solitary place. Let's go off together. Let's go to a quiet place. Let's beat you and me. And by the time they get to the other side of the body of water, there's a whole horde of people, a crowd that's already now stolen their solitary place. 
What does Jesus say? Verse 34, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he said, you've ruined it. No. He says, man, they're like sheep without a shepherd. Let's go love them. Let's go find them. It's easy to make life itself and even other people the enemy of your solitude. And it's important not to do that, friends, because God is in the interruptions. That God meets us like Jesus met the crowds and even the disciples in feeding out of this interruption. Feeding the multitudes. And so by talking about solitude, we're not talking about a perfect, quiet life in the hills with no obligations. And we're not talking about everything else in life simply being nothing but a distraction. But in fact, we're talking about finding pockets of time and stillness and presence with God so that we can start to grow to understand that there is a holy kind of chaos in the mundane. So that we can know that there are ways and places that God meets us in the mess. But sometimes you've got to steal away to start to cultivate that awareness and that expectation. That God meets us in the kitchen. That God meets us in the cubicle. That God meets us when we're waitressing. God meets us as we're roaming the halls of a hospital. The point is not to idealize quiet in an unhealthy way. Jesus, after all, met the people in their hunger. It's the most mundane thing of all. Embrace interruptions as part of your solitude. And in talking about these different obligations that are upon us, let me finish by pointing out that the goal of our solitude and stillness is love. Not only love for God and an attentiveness to God himself as we're present with him, but also an attentiveness to people. Richard Foster, who's written a lot on these issues of spiritual disciplines and ways that we grow, he has written this. The fruit of solitude is increased sensitivity and compassion for others. There comes a new freedom to be with people. There's a new attentiveness to their needs, new responsiveness to their hurts. Because sometimes you need to get away from people in order to be fully present with people. The goal is not just to extract you out of life, out of people's lives, away from the call to love and to sacrifice and to serve. The point is you cannot do that in a sustainable, meaningful, and healthy way apart from times and rhythms of solitude and stillness. Getting away from people for people. And that by carving out these moments of presence with God, that maybe you emerge from it a little bit more of a balanced parent to your child. Or maybe a more wise worker to your office mates and colleagues. Able to prioritize a little bit better. Not so driven by the voices within not so driven by the hungers of your heart that you're trying to cope with and feed in other sorts of ways. Free now by a new relationship with this God who gives you rest, a God who gives himself as a shepherd, a God who feeds our souls. This is a God who offers solitude. This is a God who offers stillness of heart by the gospel of grace. He extends it to you. Will you take it? 
Will you take it from him? Let's pray. God, we offer this to you, needing your wisdom. Because uh, we live um, nutty lives sometimes. And it's easy for us to give up on this invitation, believing that it's not possible. So first we pray for perseverance to hang in there, for creativity to know how to maybe think through and implement and design. But more than everything, anything, we, we pray for hunger of heart to want to be with you, to want to be still. Only you can give that, Holy Spirit. So we ask that you would. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. And we're going to close by singing two songs. The first one is Be Still My Soul. Be Still My Soul. Talk to yourselves. Counsel your hearts. This is a song actually about trials and challenges in life. Maybe that's what you're feeling. Stillness in the midst of that. Can it be? Let's stand. Let's sing.